dismal fellows. This is quite wrong. The reverse of the truth. Paul Samuelson The history of modern economics is a cunning plot that can match the best of historical novels. The running storyline is man's search for wealth and prosperity and the economic model that best serves the needs of the common man. The main character is Adam Smith, a child of the Scottish Enlightenment, and the philosophy he represents, the self-regulating system of natural liberty and competition. Our hero has gone through untold triumphs and tragedies in the unfolding of over two hundred years of economic history. Sometimes he appears lifeless following the blows of his opponents but he seems to have nine lives and always makes a recovery. A Quick Overview The plot begins in dramatic fashion in 1776, when a London publisher printed Adam Smith's monumental work, The Wealth of Nations, the intellectual shot heard around the world. Smith's captivating philosophy of natural liberty and the invisible hand rapidly became the central character of modern economics, as the Industrial Revolution and political liberty exploded on the scene and created a new era of wealth and economic growth over the next two centuries. The enlightened Scottish model of prosperity quickly spread to France via J.B. Sir and Bastia, America via Thomas Jefferson, and the rest of the Western world. Yet the optimistic world of Adam Smith was almost immediately challenged by Robert Malthus and David Ricardo, two serious scholars who propound the gloomy doctrine of the iron law of subsistence wages and the permanent misery of the working class. These pessimistic forecasts were followed by the appearance of John Stuart Mill, who vacillated between liberty and socialism as utopian communitarianism reached its zenith of popularity. Then, in the middle of the 19th century Industrial Revolution, Karl Marx suddenly strode onto the scene with talk of exploitation and alienation among the industrial workers, and plunged economics into a new dark age. The rise of socialism would be the biggest challenge Smithian capitalism would face over the next century. The Marginal Revolution Fortunately, a new light appeared to counter the dark forces of social engineering. This marginal revolution gave new life to our main character, the invisible hand model of Adam Smith. It came from three sources in the early 1870s, from Karl Menger in Austria, Leon Vara in Switzerland, and William Stanley Jevons in England. Olgain Baum-Bawerk, a colleague of Menger, was the first economist to take on Marx with a devastating critique of his labor theory of value and exploitation. Through the textbooks of Alfred Marshall in England and Frank Tossig and Irving Fisher in the United States, the Smithian model of modern economics was rebuilt. Thus resuscitated, it made an effective counterattack on the growing socialist movement, Scientific economics had come of age. Nevertheless, the late 19th century was the era of big business and the giant trusts of Carnegie and Rockefeller. Institutionalists like Thorstein Veblen swayed the crowds of cynics with their warnings of conspicuous consumption and monopoly power. 
while German sociologist Max Weber wrote of the religious underpinnings and the iron cage of capitalism. Keynes and the Great Depression But the biggest blow to Adam Smith's world of free market capitalism came with the 1929 crash and the Great Depression of the 1930s. Neoclassical economists comprehended the nuances of supply and demand, but failed to grasp the mysteries of the money nexus, the vital connection between the microeconomy and the macroeconomy. The great Yale professor Irving Fisher made bold attempts at solving the missing link between micro and macro in the early 20th century, and the Austrian Ludwig von Mises, relying on the profound work of the Swede Knut Wicksell, finally bridged the gap in his theory of money and credit. But the Mises-Vixel theories didn't take hold in academia or the halls of government, and by the early 1930s, banks collapsed, businesses failed, and millions of workers begged for a living wage as governments around the globe struggled to overcome the decade-long financial nightmare. Who would save capitalism? The battle lines were drawn between the classical economists who defended the policies of laissez-faire and the Marxists and socialists who demanded a revolutionary overthrow of the old order. Amid the global intellectual conflict appeared John Maynard Keynes, the economist as savior. This Cambridge don proposed a new, sophisticated model based on a financial instability hypothesis inherent to the capitalist system. This new economics required government intervention in the monetary and fiscal arena to stabilize the market economy. Yet, unlike its chief rival, Marxism, the Keynesian model did not require nationalization or micro-control of supply and demand. The classical model of thrift, balanced budgets, low taxes, and the gold standard was relegated to periods of full employment while the Keynesian prescription of consumer demand, deficit financing, progressive taxation, and fiat money played out during periods of economic recession and unemployment. It was viewed as the ideal compromise, and soon college instructors, their heads buried in a popular new textbook by MIT Wunderkind Paul Samuelson, were teaching students strange new tools, the multiplier the marginal propensity to consume, the paradox of thrift, aggregate demand, and C plus I plus G. Keynesian economics reflected the high tide of macroeconomic theorizing and mathematical modeling. The Return to Market Economics The final chapter in our story begins after World War II. Through the monetarist counter-revolution led by Chicago's Milton Friedman, economists began to focus more on the instability of government macro-policies. Friedman, relying on empirical work more than abstract model-building, demonstrated how the Federal Reserve, a government creation, was the principal culprit in causing the Great Depression. By adopting a stable monetary policy, the self-regulating market economy of Adam Smith could once again flourish. The Chicago School became the driving force behind the return to classical economics and the need for empirical evidence to support theory. Soon other schools of free market economics, 
supply side, rational expectations, and Austrian, challenge the Keynesian monolith. The triumph of the market reached its zenith of success with the collapse of the Soviet economic system in the early 1990s. The Austrian economists Ludwig von Mises and Friedrich Hayek had predicted the demise of socialistic central planning for years, and now their prediction was finally fulfilled. The failure of the socialist paradigm ushered in a new era of free trade, denationalization, and privatization throughout the developing world. Our story of modern economics ends here on an optimistic note. Even as battles are still being fought over the right kind of economic policies to pursue in the face of financial crises, uncertainty, and globalization, but these are only skirmishes, not full-scale war. In many ways, this final chapter of modern economics foreshadows the end of a long battle between two paradigms: laissez-faire versus socialist interventionism. And Adam Smith's world of unfettered capitalism appears to be winning as we enter a new millennium. Strange and torrid lives. Yet our story is not just an account of conflicting ideas; it is also an amazing tale of idle dreamers, academic scribblers, occasional quacks, and madmen in authority. The lies of economists are often just as exciting. And unusual, even bizarre, as those of most famous people. In these pages, you will find the story of a professor of moral philosophy who burned his clothes, then burned his papers before dying. A Cambridge economist who may have been a secret.